Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab a Bible, get to the book of 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible in a seat somewhere nearby you, you can grab one. If you don't own a Bible, leave with that. We would love for you to take that as a gift. Uh, we're just making our way verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're new here, uh, that's pretty much what we spend most of our year doing. Just starting at the beginning of a Bible, a book of the Bible, working our way through it, letting God's Word say what God's Word says. And so um, we come to this passage today in 1 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, in verse 9. And, and I want you to get that right in front of you because I don't want to waste any time. I just want to read this passage we're going to walk through today and I want to get right into it together. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9, it says this, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Seems clear enough, doesn't it? What in the world is Paul speaking to here? What is God teaching us in this passage here today. Now, I want you to remember something, that we, we don't come to a passage like this uh, and it just kind of pops out of nowhere. Uh, remember that Paul is writing a letter to Timothy with this purpose, and we see the purpose in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's on the screen. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the church. And so the book of 1 Timothy is a gift to us that helps us understand how God's household is to behave. How is all of this to work? How are we to live in it and how is it to be ordered? As we came to chapter 2, uh, Pastor Brian two weeks ago did a beautiful job of, of teaching us this, this, the, what, what God was after with this quiet and dignified life uh, that was a life of prayer, but that, was, that led to, I love the phrase he came up with, this gospel magnetism. And now flowing out of that, last week, Pastor Corey preached to us the application of this quiet, dignified, gospel magnetism life for the men of the church. And men, what were we called to in that last week? We were called to pray. It seemed that Paul wanted Timothy to address some issues with the men that they stop fighting and they stop quarreling and they get their hands together, lifting holy hands in prayer. I love the line Pastor Corey said last week, stop praying on each other, start praying with each other, right? That's what God calls the men of the church to lead in. Stop fighting, stop arguing. Men, we can like to solve problems by rolling up our sleeves. No, 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 no. Roll up your sleeves, grab each other's hands, lift them and pray together, amen? But now... There's, another, uh, there's, another, there's some other issues in the church that, that, that Paul wants Timothy to address as it pertains to women in the household. 
And this is what he is addressing here and what I just read to you. Now, um, let me just say up front that, that this passage is some of, can be some of the most culturally controversial uh, passages in all of the New Testament. And, and so uh, I want to, I believe it's my job, my calling, my responsibility for our church to stand up and to teach God's word clearly and lovingly. And so my prayer today is that uh, we would clearly understand what this passage says and how it gets applied in our church, Redeemer Bible Church. Like the, one of the most unloving things I could do is talk for 30 minutes on this and everyone walk out and go, yeah, and I still don't have any clue where we really stand on that. And yet I, I want to teach it clearly yet lovingly. And as I teach it convictionally, like the conviction, do I struggle with conviction usually? Right? The conviction's going to come out, but I, I want that conviction to come out lovingly because I want to say this on the front end. There are many uh, churches and people that are part of the larger household of faith that will understand and interpret this passage differently than we do. And, and I don't want you to mistake my conviction about how we understand what this says to be a, 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 a condemnation against churches who might interpret it differently. Does that make sense? And so I pray that the conviction of what this says is clear, but I pray that it comes out. The aim of that charge, as we read earlier, would be love, that we would understand what God's Word says in a loving way. But if I can, let me give you kind of the sermon in a sentence in one very direct, prayerfully clear way. Here's what I believe this passage is about. Women in God's household dress respectably and learn submissively. I know it's, it's direct, but I believe this is what this passage is getting after. Paul wants Timothy to address some things going on and how the women in the household are dressing. And Paul wants uh, Timothy to address some things of, 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 of the role that uh, the men are to take and women are to take within how the household is ordered. And so I want to teach this and tease this out in two parts. Part one, we'll talk about what it means to dress respectively. Part two, we'll talk about what Paul means here by learning submissively. And so if you would, let's pray, ask for God's help as we get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we submit to your word. Your word is the authority. Uh, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so, Lord, we want to say what your word says. Uh, Lord, I pray that it goes out clearly. I pray we divide it rightly. We teach it accurately. And, God, I pray that you would do a powerful work through your word today as we teach through this passage. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump into part one here. Part one, women in God's household dress respectably. Uh, look back at verse nine with me, if you will. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, um, you tell me, what's the first word of verse 9? Whoa, whoa, here, here we go. What's the first word of verse 9? Likewise. So likewise tells us that there's a continuation of thought from what Paul has just been saying. And so verse 8 told us, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. I, I want to speak to some things to the men. I want to deal with some things that need dealt with in this congregation. Now verse 9, likewise. Also that women, a man, we're going to deal with an issue, you're to pray. Women, we're going to deal with an issue, uh, you are to adorn and how are they to adorn themselves? In, in what kind of apparel? In respectable apparel. And so uh, 
what in the world does it mean that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel? Now, in order for us to understand this passage rightly, we need to understand some things about how this passage works. And in order to do that, let me ask you a question. We need to be asking this question. What are principles which apply to all times and what are what I'm calling practicals which apply to that time? It's really important that we understand this. And so if you're here right now and you're like, seriously, of all the weeks I put the double French braid in. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <clears throat> relax. You don't need to quietly be on, like, relax. If you're sliding off a gold ring, like, relax. What are principles that Paul is getting at that are to be true of us regardless of culture, regardless of time, and what are some practical things he's dealing with in that context? We need to ask that question to get at an understanding. So, so let's talk about the principles here. I think our understanding of what it means to adorn themselves in respectable apparel hinges on this idea that he gets to in the middle of verse 9 with modesty and self-control. Paul is encouraging the women of the household of God to dress what I'm calling modestly and moderately. And we'll, un we'll unpack that a bit here. Let's talk about modesty. Uh, modesty is first and foremost a matter of the, it's a matter of the heart. Right, like the moment I bring up the word modesty, those of you uh, ladies who maybe grew up in, in certain kinds of Christian homes, you're trying to like, oh man, like it, it can have a lot of charge connotation. I don't want us to miss something. Modesty is first and foremost a matter of the heart. A modest heart gets applied in modest dress. But modest dress isn't the place that the conversation starts. And so, moms and dads, you can try and enforce those rules and measurements of modesty on your daughters. And, and for sure, right, there's some practical shepherding needed at times. But remember, don't ever forget you're not just seeking conformity to modest dress styles. You're, you're after the shepherding of a modest heart. But this... Modesty, this dress of modesty of the women of the household of God, it's not only applicable to parents bringing up younger girls, to all the women in the church, practically, what does your dress say about your heart? Modest adornment externally flows from a modest heart internally. Are your first decisions as it pertains to dress driven by what makes you look good or what makes your God look good? But now, when Paul says women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, and then he says in self-control, I, I don't think he's only talking about dress in the household. Because what was going on is you had the, the, the church gathering. And as the church was gathering, uh, there, there was an issue that seemed to be arising in it of women wearing things uh, that were either immodest or were uh, elaborate in such a way that was taking the gaze off worship of God and onto them. And, and, and so the issue isn't only an issue of immodesty. It also seemed to be in that church an issue of, of, of elaborate um, women dressing in such a way like, wow, look at that. 
the nice, the best, the shiniest new thing that was taking the gaze off of God and on to them. And what this seemed to be doing in the congregation or in the household at that time was emphasizing the socioeconomic divide within the household. Women of greater means coming into the gathering in elaborate ways that turn head towards them and away from God. And this is where Paul pulls out some of those practical applications for that church in that time. Not with braided hair and gold or what some biblical scholars think meant they were braiding their hair with gold or pearls or costly attire. Paul's after the heart of this to go, as we gather as a household, don't worry about how elaborate you can dress yourself up in such a way that makes everyone turn their head towards you and away from the gaze of God. And so this, this list here gets to some of the practicals that Paul's speaking into that church at that time. So, so don't worry, next week there's not going to be the braid police at the door. And yet the principle stands true. The principle stands true of how do I dress in such a way not to make much of me but to make much of my God. And it's in this flow of moderation that Paul says, focus less on elaborate outward adornment, focus more on being adorned in good works. Women of God, adorn yourself in good works. Let your godliness, which flows from your heart, be seen in the external adornment of your good works. Now, everything Paul's saying here, Peter also says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read that to you. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's it, women of God. That's the target. That women in God's household, blood bought by the Savior Jesus Christ, that they would magnify the gospel of God and make much of the household of God when they dress in a way that magnifies God. Driven by modesty and moderation, adorned by good works of godliness, which magnified their beauty more than any immodest or extravagant dress can. To say it like this, women of God are more concerned about being dressed in godliness than they are in Gucci. <laughs> You're like, shoot, I had a pair of Gucci's too, right? If they're even shoes, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> and now listen, that isn't a statement, listen to now, that isn't a statement that you can't buy certain expensive things. Like, so, you know, some of you are naturally like, see, this is why we can't have nice things, right? No, this is, a, this is all about the heart. Think about it this way. The driving decisions on your dress shouldn't ultimately be about what makes you most attractive, but what makes the gospel most attractive. And I get, and I don't get, right here I stand, I don't get the temptation in which you all ladies live in of dressing certain ways and buying certain styles and shopping at certain stores that I don't even know the names of. If I can make it through a whole year without ever stepping in a mall, I'd praise the Lord for that. 
but I do lay before you as one of your pastors who loves you that your decisions would be not based on what makes you most attractive, but what makes the gospel most attractive. Now, uh, let me provide some guidance on some application of this, because I, I don't pretend to know that I'm the best person to speak into how you ladies apply this, but, but I hope to have some guidance on that I hope brings some good application. First, I think the application of this part of the passage should be wrestled out within the context of community of godly women and in the context of Titus 2 relationships. Let me say more on that. In your discipleship groups this week, ladies, as you break off, this is where you can sharpen one another in the application of what does this really mean? What does this call us to in how we adorn ourselves? This is a chance for you to sharpen one another, to speak into it. Now, some of you are like, sweet, I have been waiting to tee off on this one girl for the way that she did. That, that's not the heart. It's not the heart. And yet I do think this is where the application of this must be wrestled out within the context of good, godly women in the church. I also think it must be wrestled out in the context of Titus 2 relationships. What do I mean by Titus 2? In Titus 2, uh, the word of God instructs that the older women in the church are to instruct the younger women in the church. And I think there's something beautiful here that the household benefits when the younger women are going to the older women with hearts of humility to say, will you help me figure out what it means to apply God's word on this point? And I think it's beautiful when the older women come with hearts of humility to instruct those younger women, not just laying, you know, legalistic, practical things that you think, but, but drawing out questions of a heart of modesty. That's a beautiful way God's called the household to work. You with me, household? So as you wrestle this out in community, let me just lay some what I hope are helpful questions that might help spur a conversation. What does it look like in our day to adorn myself in respectable apparel? Where do I look to guide my heart around the topics of modesty and moderation? Is that an important question? What does it look like to be adorned with what is proper for women who profess godliness? And then a potential heart stinger. What does the state of my wardrobe possibly say about the state of my heart? These are questions that I think wrestled out within the context of good, godly community of women in our church will be of great blessing. Now, we've not even gotten to the most controversial part of the passage, okay? And so as chapter 2 began, it began with this exhorting us to a quiet and dignified life that pleases God and breeds a gospel magnetism. Ladies, your dress in the household of God is part of that. But also, Paul now begins to speak of a posture that needed to be addressed in the church of Ephesus. A posture as learners taken in the household of God. And in, 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 I'll say it like this. Second part of the sermon is this. Women in God's household learn submissively. Now, I get the word submission and submissive. It has some charged connotations to it. But I hope as we walk through this, you'll understand the beauty of what Paul is after and what God is after when he provides this instruction. Verse 11. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, let me just stop right there. Um, 
Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, this section of scripture has created a firestorm of interpretation that can be especially charged in our day. But, but, but before you, you know, get up and leave or before you start saying things like, well, what does Paul have against women or what does God have against women or what does Redeemer Bible Church have against women? L- let me lay some broader redemptive context, broader context of redemptive history for you. The answer to what does God or Paul or the Bible or Redeemer have against women is nothing. Nothing but deep love and faithful teaching from cover to cover in this book that both men and women are completely equal before God in every way, equal as image bearers of God in every way, to be leveraged in their complementing giftedness within the church in every way. And that <clears throat> the first four words of verse 11 were actually a huge pivot point away from the social norms of this way. The first four words, let a woman learn. There was a huge statement in that day. The New Testament champions the movement of redemptive history in ways that were so countercultural to the rights of women in the social, social structure of that day. Let a woman learn. Yes. This church should be full of women who are scholars of the word. Amen? Amen. This church should be full of women of deep doctrinal understanding. Amen? Amen? The Bible celebrates the expansion of the kingdom through women in beautiful ways. Let me list some. The announcement of the Messiah coming into the world came to Mary. And the subsequent birth of the Messiah came through Mary. The good news which swept into Samaria through the testimony of a woman whose heart was changed by Jesus at a well. It was a woman who anointed Jesus during a dinner in Bethany in which Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Sweet. Luke mentions women by name who are following and supporting Jesus' ministry out of their own possessions. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and he says many others. The empty tomb announcement came through the mouth of women. The movement and expansion of the early church through women like Lydia and Priscilla and Phoebe. The very discipling of this Timothy by the faithful women in his church, his grandma and his mom. If you read this and ask what is Redeemer or Paul or the Bible or God have against women, the answer is nothing but upsetting many of the social structures of that day that did not honor God so that God could show off his great power through holy and bold women of God. And yet, Paul is speaking into a structure within the household in which the church is to operate. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So there's a manner to this learning. There's an order to this learning. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean for a woman to learn within the household of God quietly with all submissiveness? I got it. We got to keep reading. I think verse 12 helps us interpret verse 11. He says, I do not permit a woman to, to what? To teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So what does this mean? Paul says, I do not permit. Okay, that's clear. There is a prohibition here, right? No matter how people interpret these passages and how it gets played out in their church governance, we all have to agree with what Tim Keller says here. 
we have to at least agree Paul is prohibiting something. When Paul says, I do not permit, he's not permitting something. So what is that? It's a function to teach and another function to exercise oversight. So what exactly does this mean? How do we believe this is to get played out within the household of God? Here's what we believe this passage teaches. We believe at Redeemer Bible Church that this passage clearly teaches that the oversight of the church and the authoritative teaching of the church, the preaching that's happening right now, is reserved for the elder qualified men of the church. We believe that this passage teaches the authority, the elder oversight of the church, and the authoritative teaching of the church is reserved to elder qualified men of the church. And it's this verse right here We're helped in its interpretation by where Paul goes in the letter next. If you look at chapter 3 and you look at the heading over chapter 3, what in your Bible is the heading over chapter 3? Qualifications for, for overseers. And so this is going to lead right into a conversation we're going to have next week of going, what are the qualifications for elders in a church? And so we believe that the role of elder is reserved for qualified men in the church. And so let me just kind of steer directly into a few questions that, you know, we're often asked. So are there women who serve as elders at Redeemer? The answer, in light of what we believe 1 Timothy 2 and 3 teaches, is no. That the role of elder is reserved for men in the church. Will we ever walk in on a Sunday and there will be a woman preaching at Redeemer? The answer, in light of this, is no. And now, like, right, I, I get, like, culturally, you know, and even some of you might be ready to storm the stage right now. But before you storm, let me say this. Let me provide some additional application clarity. So, so if some of you are on this side and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. Like, that's where I'm at theologically. I'm so glad that my church stands there. Now let me, let me, let me take my chance to offend you for a minute, okay, and how this needs to get played out in a healthy way. Will women ever provide some teaching in other settings, discipleship group settings, smaller group settings? Heavens, yes. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with the thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember, Timothy himself was discipled in the faith by his mother and his grandmother. Remember, both Aquila and Priscilla took a young, gifted Apollos aside and taught him a more complete and adequate way. I am thankful for many of the teaching opportunities in which I have learned from great, gifted, godly women in this church. Will women read scripture, pray, and encourage us through the word during large corporate gatherings? You're all nervous. (laughs) Yes! Praise the Lord. Well, women, should you pursue everything God calls the men in this church to from a discipleship standpoint other than the role of elder and corporate preaching? Help me out here. Yes. We want no hesitation in you to go all out for Jesus Christ. It's been one of the things that in the first seven years of our church, because when a new church starts, right, and, and, and you know, we're, we're seven or we're six and a half. We're not even seven. We're growing up. 
But what happens as a new church starts is, is a lot of us, some of us come from no church background, we're, we're brand new believers, a lot of us have come in from different church backgrounds, and depending on the churches you grew up in, some of you ladies we have found, you come into this church and you're like, I don't know what I can do, what I can't do, what I can say, and what I can't say. Listen to me. Everything we lay out of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, go after wholeheartedly. Get after it. We believe elders are to be qualified men in the church. The preaching of this church will happen through the men of the church. Everything else, go get after it. You know, so many questions right up front after the first service. I'm sure many of you are making the list now and meet me up here after this one. And, and but, you know, people are like, well, you know, sh- should my sister be listening to so-and-so female teacher? Give- yes! Praise the Lord. Like we have a vested interest in applying what 1 Timothy 2 says in a right way. Because the whole purpose of this passage isn't to cut off half our body, our sisters in the faith. The intent of this passage is to provide direction for the authoritative teaching and oversight of the church. If we misapply this, we will cut off half of our body and we will not be healthy when you do that. I have a vested interest in this as your pastor. I got a rockin' godly wife, way more gifted than me, and a way stronger leader naturally than I am. Amen, right? People are like, amen. <laughs> Seen it, know it, for sure. I want my wife thriving in the church of the living God. I got a three-year-old firecracker of a little girl at home. She's going to do some things for the kingdom. I want her to understand what her heavenly father says she should be doing for the kingdom. Deep breath. Does this teach, you know, back to the questions now. Does this teach all women are subject to all men in the church? We don't, we believe it doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that in the home, the husband's the head of the wife, and in the church, the elders are head of both the men and the women of the church. Now, I say that, right? That seems like a big statement of authority. I don't say that from a lording it over you standpoint. The elders must never forget that they too are men under authority, the authority of the chief shepherd in whom this church is, is Jesus Christ. And the minute elders forget that, it's ugly. Does this mean women can't lead men in other avenues of life? Now, you know, there's some great teachers of the word that would disagree with me on this, but no, I don't believe this means that. This is instruction for the household of God. Women can serve as managers, leaders, CEOs, leading men in all sorts of societal and corporate structures, and yet God says in the home, the men are to be the spiritual leaders, and in the church, the men are to serve as elders. So as clear and lovingly as I can be, as convictional as I can be, yet with charity abounding, We believe the teaching of the church and the oversight of the church are to be led by the elder qualified men of the church. And thus at Redeemer, men serve as elders and men lead in the ministry of preaching the word and doctrinal instruction. Now, you should be asking a question. Remember earlier when it was about, uh, you know, adorning ourselves respectably with modesty and self-control? But then I said, you know, and then Paul deals with some things practically. You should be asking a question. You should be going, well, how do we know that this isn't one of those practical things just for Ephesus at that time? Like, like, 
Why can you say that up there, pastor? But then when you get here, you say, no, it's men who are going to serve as elders. And it's men who are going to lead in the preaching ministry of the church. I believe it's rooted in where Paul goes next in verses 13 and 14. I do, let me start back at 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why do you go there? So he says, I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. And he doesn't say, because this is kind of a cultural taboo or this isn't the way we do it in Ephesus in that day. He goes all the way back and he roots that in the created order. That's significant. As William Mounts, he's a New Testament scholar, says, for Paul, this indicates that God intended male authority. The specific application of this principle is that the Ephesian women should not try to reverse the created order by being in authority over men. And then he expands on his rooting of this in the created order and what he says in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Ladies, can I be honest? How many of you hear that and in your flesh you're like, okay, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> be, be honest, right? You're like, okay, what, what's up with that? I want to understand the full picture of what's up with that. Paul is not putting the square blame on Eve for this. In fact, notice that Paul uh, does not say Adam was innocent. In fact, if, if that's what it feels like, you need to go read Romans 5 where Paul lays the passing down of all of sin for all of time squarely on Adam. It's kind of a rough chapter for Adam. In fact, I think in Paul not mentioning Adam, he's bringing up the very fault in which Adam was leading with in the garden. Adam abdicated his role as a spiritual leader in that moment. Where was Adam when Eve was deceived? Not doing what he needed to be doing as the spiritual leader. And when God came down to deal with it after the fall, who did he ask to talk with? Adam. So Paul's point, in Adam's abdicating, Eve's deceived, Eve's in a situation she never should have been in, men don't abdicate spiritual leadership in the household. And women don't subjugate this command in the household. And he roots this in scripture. All I'm trying to pull out here is I believe that women not serving as overseers and authoritative teaching roles in the church is rooted by Paul in the created order, which makes this a principle to be applied to the church everywhere for all time and not just a cultural principle Paul was speaking to the church in Ephesus at that time. I know some of us might disagree on that, my prayer for us, my prayer in discipleship groups this week is if we, if we do disagree with that, can we disagree with our Bibles open? To just say, but, but I think, look at what it says here, not just, well, I don't like it because that's not how our culture works. That's a bad argument. Let, let's, let's get our Bibles out and let's wrestle through it together with our Bibles open. Amen? Now he ends us with this super clear bow, cherry on top, verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Right? Clear enough. <laughs> Roll the worship team. <laughs> what in the world does Paul mean here? 
This is admittedly one of Paul's more difficult verses to gain crystal clear clarity on. You go over to our study here in the office, you could pick any textbook you want on 1 Timothy off the shelf. And all of us who study the Bible and have to teach the Bible, we sit around the table and go, okay, Lord help. What does this really mean? But that's not me punting that we shouldn't try to gain an understanding of what this means. When we come to passages like this, okay, this is really important. This isn't just about this passage now, it's about how we study our Bible. When you're doing your devotions in the morning and you come to some of those passages where you're like, Lord help me, what does this mean? You always start with what you do know and use that as a building blocks to help you begin to understand what you don't yet know. So let's do that. What do we know? What do we know about what Paul believes about how we are saved? Well, we know Paul believes in salvation by grace through faith, do we not? Like when you take the 13 letters we have in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does he not teach us over and over again that salvation comes by grace through faith? Is there anywhere we see where Paul uh, propagates or teaches a gospel that is uh, saved by works? And do we ever see Paul teaching a gospel that you're saved by grace plus procreating? You use scripture to interpret scripture, and scripture is clear on salvation. We're saved by the finished work of Christ, grace through faith, period. Paul is not teaching that a woman has to have kids in order to be saved. If he was, it's really confusing why he would hold up singleness and such high esteem in 1 Corinthians 7 if he believed that. If women had to have kids in order to be saved, he would not say what he says about singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Paul can't mean that a woman must have kids in order to be saved. Now what is he teaching here? Lord help us. The only way we can understand this is to keep it right in the flow of the context it is in. When Paul uses the word saved here, he uses it not in the sense of what they must do in order to be saved, but instead what they do in bearing fruit from the fact that they are saved. Let me give another example of that that we see in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, Timothy wouldn't have read that and go, okay, I got it. Grace through faith and keep a close watch on the TV. It persists and then I'll be saved. We know Timothy wouldn't have read it like that. Timothy instead would have read that as an understanding of, here is what I am to do out of the fact that I am saved. I'm to hold close this message of the gospel, this message of salvation. So this is a statement Paul is making, not of what will make me saved, but this is a statement of working out the fruit of your salvation and within the context and the unique functions and callings that God has given. So Paul's been talking about men. Men, here's what I want to focus on. You need to work on in the church. Women, here's what I want to focus on that I want to speak to you in the church. And now what I think he's doing here is pointing, ladies, 
to one of the most celebrated, unique, God-honoring roles God has given to the women of the household, the function or role of the holy bearing of children to the glory of God. Only women can do this. I don't care what anyone tells you in our culture today. Only women can do this. Only women get the great and awesome privilege from God of giving life into this world. And so in some beautiful, one of those hard to totally understand, we'll chat about it in heaven with him, summary statements on this point. Paul seems to be celebrating this unique function and role that God has given to the women who are, who are saved, meaning bearing fruit of their salvation by living out one of the unique functions God has given to them as life givers in the household. So women in the household build up the household and magnify the gospel. When you joyfully live out your unique, called by God, fruit of your salvation roles, of which Paul notes here, one of the most beautiful and powerful and potent is that of givers of life. And in all of this, I come back to this big idea. Women in God's household dress respectively and learn submissively. Now, uh, totally understand. A lot to wrestle through there. A lot of questions that you might have. Great conversations I had after first service. But let me just, let me just kind of bring this back into the big bigger picture of the whole book. This is bigger than just wardrobe and who's preaching, isn't it? Is this not bigger than wardrobe and who's preaching? Does this not flow in a whole context of chapter 2 in which Paul is encouraging his people who are part of the household of God live quiet, dignified lives that please God and that magnify the gospel in a beautiful way. And then he's applying specific instruction to the men and the women of the household of what that looks like lived out. Um, a, a couple just final things I want to speak to from a practical standpoint happening uh, following today. Um, I would encourage you, this Tuesday is our first Tuesday. And we're going to pray into this. We're going to come out of this text that we just taught through today, and we're going to pray into some of these things. We're going to you know, get the men praying together, get the women praying together, have the men praying for the women, have the women praying for the men. And it's going to be this beautiful time of the household gathering coming out of this teaching for us to pray into these things together. Be here for that. Prioritize our gatherings of prayer. There is, you're going to walk into, there's nothing flashy about it. But does our God need flashy things for us to come and gather to pray together? Isn't he enough? Isn't he worthy of us gathering to talk and listen to him? Doesn't he spark revival when his people just gather, get on their face in simple prayer? And don't we want that? And so let's get together and do that. Every, two, every first Tuesday, our elders and spouses are up here after. Uh, come up, let us pray with you. Uh, let us anoint you if you need anointing for something. Um, yell at us if you're frustrated about something. Um, but that is literally what we're here for and what, where we want to make ourselves available. And then the uh, second thing I want to note coming out of this teaching is uh, I totally understand that uh, in 40 minutes of teaching, like I can't put a bow on all of this for us. And so our elders have served us so well by compiling a position paper that makes this clear to you in a way that you can access and read it. 
And so uh, our elders have released a, a men and women in the church paper to bring clarity to this topic. Uh, you can access that on our Redeemer resources page. And so go to uh, redeemerbible.church, click on resources, go to articles, you'll find it there. You can follow that super cool link if you have a smartphone and uh, scan that or whatever you do with that. And uh, it'll take you right there. You can also access it on our app as well. But our hope in this is to lovingly uh, shepherd the flock by just being as clear and loving as we can on what we believe on this topic. Amen, church? Hey, if you would stand with me, I want to send us out of here. Uh, my prayer for us, this has been our prayer as elders uh, for this year. Uh, we started in the book of Revelation, those letters to the seven churches, where we just said, Jesus, we want to hear your heart for the church. We intentionally came out of those letters to the seven churches by studying a letter that's all about how this household is to behave and operate. We just want this to be the church Jesus looks down and is pleased with. Amen? And so at times that means we come through passages that maybe some, our culture would, would stiff arm a bit and say, why are you guys about that? We're about it because this is what God has for his church and we want to be about what God has for his church. Amen. Redeemer, we love you. We send you. Have a great week and we'll see you here next Sunday.